Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Experts have speculated we can sense it in our bones and even the financial master clock of economic cycles points toward the end of this natural expansion, a.k.a. recession. But maybe not just right now. <laughs> Welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running source of Carolina business policy and community affairs. I am Chris William, and thank you again for supporting this broadcast for the last 29 years. On this edition, what does the later stage economy really look like in this region? How is it showing up in things like the uneven rural urban expansion or workforce growth, as well as it, how does broad education and the broad educational spectrum fit into all of this as we move forward into the second half of 2019. Well, later on, the president of Elon College joins us, Dr. Connie Ledoux Book. Please stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at Bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Leslie Boney from the Institute for Emerging Issues, NC State University, Sam Conduras of SC Bio, and special guest, Connie Ledoux Book, president of Elon University. Hello, welcome to our program. Uh, apologies to our guest who will speak in just a moment. It is Elon University, and I said Elon College at the beginning. That's, that's uh, a bit of a gaffe and, and certainly my responsibility. Um, uh, but gentlemen, welcome to the program. Sam, good to have you here. Uh, Leslie, welcome back. Uh, both of you all travel so much, and, and especially you. You know, Leslie, but, let, but let's start with this idea that we talked about the economy. And right now, headlines for the last several weeks have been dominant about trade with China and about financial markets and about interest rates. But in, in your um, civic conversations and reconnect that Emerging Issues has been doing, when you have these conversations, does this even come up? Does the economy come up the way it's being portrayed in headlines? When you talk with employers, you get decidedly mixed messages. On the one hand, they have what's right in front of them, which is 4.1% unemployment, half of them having trouble hiring people, and they know that they have continued demand, and yet they're hearing these national signals, words about inverted yield curves and things like right, that, sure. and, and everyone's saying a recession is coming, but the evidence is not in front of them right now, so it makes them nervous about hiring new people. Does it make them edgy? Is there a kind of a skittishness about that, or is, you think that's in reaction to headlines and not practicality? Yeah, not, not what's facing them. So what's right in front of them is evidence that the 
the economy continues to be strong, and yet everything they're hearing on a national level is impending doom. Yeah, right. Sam, do you get the same sense, or is it different? Yes, no, I, th I think that conversation is stepping up on this, and it, it is coming up a lot in the economic development world where I spend most of my time, and so we're often judging activity level, both international and domestically, um, as an indicator. I've, I, you know, being in life sciences, gratefully, it's one of the more recession resistant uh, industries like healthcare and we're still seeing huge growth. I've had some senior colleagues in economic development though saying in recent meetings with automotive um, executives in, in Michigan saying they felt a recession started for them in that industry segment six months ago. Um, I think the, the recent plunge of the market obviously got a lot of attention when you combine that with trade wars, tariffs, et cetera. We spend a lot of time in Europe and there's definitely edginess there. Given South Carolina's exceptional success with the economic development piece, when you talk about aerospace and automotive, does that is that also uh, an Achilles heel for the Palmetto State? Just in terms of the uh, size of those industries yeah, and, and how, the dominance. And yeah, well, I think they they clearly are going to be impacted more by the downturns and such. So I think let's just say on, on a positive note. The fact that life sciences is now growing faster on a percentage rate in South Carolina than automotive or aerospace is part of a very deliberate strategy to diversify our economy a lot more. But uh, yeah, I think I think y you can imagine with the tariff situation and major um, advanced manufacturer technology companies like BMW, you know, this this mm -hmm. has been felt. Uh, back to you, Leslie. When you uh, travel the state, and I know you have been now for a while uh, through emerging issues. What are, you, what are you hearing? What are you trying to foster in civic conversations? What are you, what are you doing? What we're doing is trying to react to what people have told us really concerns them right now, which is the quality of dialogue in the state is deteriorating, mm -hmm. and that's a national trend. But uh, we did a survey a couple of years ago of, and asked people what the biggest issues facing North Carolina were. And we got, as you might imagine, 158 different answers. <laughs> but as we narrowed it down, what we realized was that what a lot of those answers had in common was this feeling of disconnection from one another. And so what we've been trying to do is to find ways to give people skills to begin talking about tough issues. Issues like one we're working on in Charlotte coming up on October 15th. We're gonna have this big meeting where we're trying to help people realize what we could do about future workforce needs in the state. And what we've heard uh, from the My Future NC Commission, which mm -hmm. is made up of all these government, business, education leaders funded in part by the John M. Belk Endowment, they've found that if we do nothing in North Carolina by 2030, we will have 400,000 fewer people with a degree beyond high school than our businesses need. And so we're trying to respond to that and find ways to give people on ramps, particularly adults, age 25 to 54, so that they can get that additional education they need in order to meet the needs of our businesses and the needs for their families. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Is that because my future in C now is congealed and the governor has endorsed this? Or is that because there's some other type of momentum that's, that's, that's going on in the background? The governor's endorsed it, the General Assembly has endorsed it, our business community has endorsed it, all three heads of, of the major education systems have endorsed it. And the reality is the business community has said, here's what our projected needs are, and you, North Carolina, are not gonna meet them unless you change something. Now, Sam, you were nodding your head when, when Leslie was talking about workforce development. Did I see that right? Sure, um, number one initiative for us, and probably the, the biggest challenge and opportunity. You know, it's a double-edged sword, I think. Um, 
<clears throat> I feel I, I might see it more in our industry in South Carolina right now because you know, our metro areas are hovering around 3.2% unemployment. It's it's tighter. Say, I'm sorry, 2%? No, 3.2%. But still. Yeah, virtually, no, you know, unemployment is, is virtually as, as far as you can go. But basically in an industry like life sciences that has less awareness, it is more fledgling, that sort of thing, it becomes even more challenging for those companies to find the talent. So we're being incredibly aggressive and deliberate on how to tackle that. And we're, we're looking, we're finding a lot of great, um, uh, some great ideas that we're just trying to explode out further. One, our, our largest pharmaceutical corporation in Columbia, Nephron, she, uh, one thing she has done, and they're growing like crazy, 1,100 plus employees and still ramping up. She's hired 650 teachers who come and work part-time that really could utilize the extra money. They're uh, an intelligent workforce, uh, high integrity, do a great job. And I mean, those are some of the kind of unique creative things companies are even doing. What, would, what would keep other leaders from doing that? I think, Following, that's Lou Kennedy. Yeah, obviously. that is Lou Kennedy. And I think uh, others are trying to adopt it um, you know, quite rapidly. And I mean, she's also tackled things like um, creating a pharmaceutical industry certificate program for high school juniors, where they work part-time, learn skill sets, and if they choose not to go into a university straight out of uh, high school, they can start at around 50000 a year with benefits. So these are just new approaches um, to deal with reality. And One and of the it, great sources that businesses have is existing employees. So in many cases, it costs a lot less to train up an existing employee than it does to recruit someone from outside. And so a lot of businesses are starting to look for who are the people in our on our team that with a little upskilling could really help me to meet the needs. Duke Just Energy, moving. among others, right. is doing that. Yep. Other power companies with line workers, they're realizing, okay, easiest place for us to find these people is among our existing staff. What they need is some sort of education or training intervention, and they can really help us. Uh, that, that's a that's a good point, Leslie, is they, let's use the Duke, Duke Energy. If they find a line worker that wants to advance, how do they backfill the line worker then? Don't, aren't they back to the same problem about trying to find, in a tight labor market, somebody that wants to be trained and do that job? Yeah, I, without speaking for them, I would say they really don't want a whole lot of line workers moving out of that job because they've got so many retiring. What they're, they're trying to do is to fill the retirement gap. Okay. So that's, that's the challenge they're trying to meet. In, in about 30 seconds, Leslie, one of the issues in the, the civic conversations is the idea of a respectful public dialogue that can be constructive. Is there a magic bullet in there that you've discovered? What we've discovered over the past uh, month or so when we've been having these conversations is that everybody wants to have them. And if you give them some simple rules of listening to each other before they start yelling, <laughs> that they really can have these conversations. We've just had uh, nine conversations over, over a week period where people from all sorts of different backgrounds came together and talked about some of the toughest issues you can, and they were hungry for it, and they didn't end up, no one ended up getting strangled or hurt, and they ended up emerging saying, I'd like to do that again. That's, that's an interesting, you know, as you describe it, I think of primary school and K through <laughs> six, and but that's a whole other thing. Thank you, gentlemen. Stay, you know, you talk about Luke Kennedy, Sam. Uh, Luke Kennedy from Nefron will be on this program in a few weeks uh, again, and we will be sure to talk to her about those issues. Uh, also coming up on our program, uh, Luke Kennedy from Nefron, as well as, and I wrote this down uh, just so I wouldn't miss, Fred Whitfield has never been on our dialogue. Fred Whitfield's an interesting guy, president of the Charlotte Hornets, partners, um, 
maybe not literally, but certainly virtually with Michael Jordan in the Charlotte Hornets. And Fred Whitfield is also the vice chairman of the Charlotte Hornets. has been very instrumental across North and South Carolina politically. We're going to find out how. Almost exactly 130 years ago, the North Carolina General Assembly issued a charter for Elon University located almost equidistant between Greensboro and Durham. What started as a co-educational Christian school now has about 7,000 students across undergrad as well as graduate programs, including men's and women's NCAA Division I sports. Beginning on March 1st of 2018, as the Elon University's ninth president, and joining us now, a dialogue with Dr. Constance Ledoux Book. President Book, welcome to the program. Thank you, Chris. And my uh, profound apologies for calling it Elon College. Was it ever Elon College? It was Elon College okay. for uh, almost uh, 100, <laughs> uh, a little over 100 years. But, uh, and we're proud of Elon College and our roots. We actually preserved the name by calling our College of Arts and Sciences Elon okay. College. College of Arts and Sciences speaks to that strong foundation in the liberal arts and sciences that we're really proud of among our Elon alumni and graduates. Thank you. Well, you're, you're graced for not making me look like a complete <laughs> idiot, so <laughs> yeah, thank you, you very much. I, you know, let, let, let me start with this idea, uh, President Book. What experience, before we get to Elon, you, you spent some time in the Citadel as provost, but you were a general in is what you called the South Carolina militia. That's a different experience. How, what, what did you learn at the Citadel to bring back and to look forward at Elon? How does that world overlap for you? That, that's a great question. And the Citadel is, uh, was a remarkable experience in leadership education. So the military and higher ed have a lot in common in that we're training young people. And so I learned a lot of lessons. And one of the key ones that I use every day at Elon is this sense of personal leadership. So I lead from your seat is how they would describe it at the Citadel. And I'll give you just a real quick story of how that unfolded. Uh, on one of my very first days, I was being measured for my general's uniform. And I went to visit the tailor shop, who's run by a legend, Miss Eartha Brown. And I stand up on the dais and she's, uh, Fitting me, and I have to tell you, this uniform was, you know, developed in 1954. <laughs> a little matronly. <laughs> yeah, it's a little matronly, and I, I was like, Miss Brown, uh, could we have that hem two inches above the knee? And she never even looked up. She just said, No, ma'am. <laughs> and then I said, How about a little tighter in the hips here with this skirt? She said, no, ma'am. And I was really grateful. She was leading from her position. She knew that if I showed up at review with the general's uniform, not uh, respecting the protocols of how that uniform would be worn, that intrinsically I'd be less respected. And as the first woman carrying the title general in this very historic institution, she was setting me up to succeed. And so that's a great example of leading from your seat, right? So she's in the tailor shop, recognizes the importance of that uniform and helps me be more uh -huh. successful in her leadership. Leslie, question. I'm curious about how you think about one of the biggest issues facing higher ed, which is all the people who come through and don't get a degree. And Elon has a higher than average completion rate, but statewide in North Carolina, there are 905,000 people who started but did not finish a degree. 
What's the responsibility of higher ed to reach out to those people and help them get the skills and abilities they need to really succeed? You can imagine that we think about this all the time. So a young person or an adult makes an investment in a semester or two of, of advanced training and development and, and higher education and then doesn't, isn't able to, to persist and graduate because we know that's where all the fruit of that investment lives, is at the completion. In my opinion, and this is having worked in higher ed for, for uh, uh, over 20 years, is it really takes an investment in ad academic advising, in that tap on the shoulder, a conversation, uh, you know, where people can see, hey, uh, whatever challenge you're facing, here are the resources to help you because we're designed for that retention. You know, and so you mentioned Elon, and we've made a, a significant investment over the last 40 years in that academic advising infrastructure. <clears throat> and you see it unfold. Uh, high schools who have great guidance counselors, uh, community colleges with academic advising. It really is a people proposition about taking the time to have that tap on the shoulder. And if you can scale that, then you can see remarkable results like we've seen at Elon. Can you scale it? Do you have the resources and the money to scale it? I absolutely believe we can scale it. Um, and this is a, an effort we've worked on at Elon and other schools are adopting, and that is through peer mentoring. You know, so we actually have the greatest resource. I have 6,999 other students <laughs> to help that one student, right? And so having those seniors help those juniors and the juniors help the sophomores and just to create peer mentoring. So it's about guidance for it, right? It's about asking the students, hey, we need you to provide leadership here and help the underclassmen attain. So, and there's lots of partners. We've got good business partners that are helping with internships across the state. We have a program in Greensboro called Campus Greensboro. At the Citadel, we were really intentional about that leadership across the four years that you're in college to help with retention, help with that graduation rate, and then make an investment in career advising, mm -hmm. uh, which is, is, the, is the fruit at the end, that they graduate, they've got a, a job in hand, or are off to graduate school. What about people who escape? and yeah. don't make it, let's say those who are 25 plus, can you get them back or is, is it too late at that point? I think um, one of the values of having a diversified higher ed system is that uh, in working with employers for that degree and certification attainment, it's creating more accessible ways in which they can earn those. Uh, and so you, and we, we're doing this at Elon as well, and colleges all across uh, South Carolina and North Carolina are working on this, where you have intense online or face-to-face -face certificates and workshops. And then uh, there's an expression called backboning, fishboning in higher ed. If you can create that backbone of some essential courses, uh, that gets them toward that degree, right? And so they're making progress and, and uh, back in the classroom, back in learning. Uh, I, I think that's a vibrant proposition for someone. They feel that sense of I'm learning, I'm growing, and it, it adds to their work productivity and their future success as well. Sam, sorry I jumped in front no, of you. No, sure. Um, so with the Carolinas being such a dynamic area, region, and, and having such a huge amount of international investment, I think um, we have some of the highest concentrations in the country. Um, I noticed on your website, it was really impressive to me, that you have students from 53 countries, 
and that you have the number one master's program in the United States for study abroad. So that, that tells me culturally that global perspectives are very important to, uh, to Elon University. Uh, I'd like to hear more about that. I'm glad, that's a great question. And it was, a, it, literally, we are celebrating 50 years of study abroad at the university. And we are highly ranked, number two in the country in Princeton Review for study abroad this year. It is a commitment to the global mindset that's needed, and nothing drives our economy more than a global mindset, right? We're all interconnected, and this generation of college students particularly feels that. But when you think about Volvo's arrival in South Carolina, uh, how important it is for students to be able in that environment to culturally navigate Germany, <laughs> culturally navigate you know, the interconnections with the United States. And uh, we have tire companies and others, you know, China. We have Glenn Raven right next door mm -hmm. to, uh, to Elon, who is uh, producing Sunbrella fabrics across the world. So Elon graduates in that company and, and all over the, the two states, really benefiting from language acquisition, and from understanding the culture deeply by having experienced it. There's no uh, greater leadership moment than when you're trying to navigate a transportation system in Beijing right? <laughs> or uh, learning how to, you know, how to uh, navigate Florence and, and uh, beautiful artwork and, and, and Italian culture. So those are leadership development moments that absolutely help that young person launch into companies who value those and be successful working across all that difference. You know, as you explain this President book and, and the accolades that Elon gets for the 50 years and, and the Princeton Review, absolutely. And as a business, you could charge more for that. However, I want to bring it back to the cost of college. And this is not going to be new to you. But, you know, the idea that it's gotten certainly expensive, there's no doubt about that. And that the, the, the rate of inflation for, for colleges is two or three X times the national average just for the, the, what we call the core rate of inflation. But more than that, it seems like the financial model for students and families is very complex. How, is there a way to, 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 you know, to just crush that and make it simple and drop the cost of education? I wish, Chris, that I, you are absolutely right. And I wish I could get all of higher ed to reset its price, right? To say, hey, uh, this, because what you're talking about is a, is a common practice in higher ed called tuition discounting. So you've got a sticker yeah. price and then there's a coupon and this is the real price and nobody really is sure how much that coupon is. <laughs> so uh, the federal government's invented tools to help family called the net price calculator that now sits on every university's website to help families make this decision. But I, I agree it has become too complex uh, for families to be able to navigate easily that discussion about the cost of higher ed. Having worked in public and private institutions, I will tell you that on the public side of the house, we have seen uh, less and less tax dollars going to support higher ed. So I think there has been adopted a greater mindset of the people who attend college should be the ones to pay for it, not the general tax base. So we see that unfolding. It's driving up the cost of public uh, education for everyone. And then the other piece on the private side, uh, you know, this, there's, I love the diversity of choice in that. I think that uh, one of the reasons that in the, on the private set side and in North Carolina, one in four of high school graduates go to a private mm -hmm. institution is that we are 
uh, invested in the return on investment, right? So when I talk to families, and we are a Kiplinger's top value at Elon, uh, ranked in 30th among privates this year, what I'm talking about is four years, right? Only 40% of college students are graduating in four years. And this speaks to the problem that Leslie introduced to us. So it's this um, four year issue. We're gonna guarantee at Elon, you're gonna graduate in four. And then I'm also wow. gonna guarantee that you're gonna have a job and that job or grad school, if you opt into professional school that you're gonna get in because you've been advised and on how to get into the, in the school you deserve and desire. But I'm also gonna guarantee that job's not just any job, but that I've worked with employers to do a good match and that your starting salary is gonna be significant for the investment you just made it at Elon. So our median starting salary for four-year graduates is uh, over 50,000 at Elon. So you know we're working toward that value proposition. So it is, I, I, I love the diversity that we offer. I, North Carolina ranks yeah. 10 in the nation in higher ed diversity. So all the different schools with meaningful missions. Any idea about South Carolina? How do they fall in that? Yeah, I don't know where South okay. Carolina ranks. They certainly have great missions at yeah. work. So you've got a Furman and you've got a Clemson and a Carolina you know, a College at Charleston. So I love the diversity of choice that families have and students have when they're making that decision. I love the investment in community colleges that we've made. The, the, um, the startup of the high schools, we're really influenced yeah. by what's happening at high schools where students can earn. Most of our students come in having earned almost a full uh, semester of coursework yeah. in their high schools. I, you know, I wish we had more time, which means we hope you'll come back. Would you please? Would I would you, love so to So we can come finish back. this because yes, I... it's clearly not over with. Uh, welcome uh, to the program, but welcome back to North Carolina from, uh, not from South Carolina, but back to Elon. Uh, I, I love say. the Carolinas. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Go. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank you. Uh, Sam, good to have you on the program. Great to be here. Thanks. Leslie, be careful on your travels, but glad to have you here. Thank Enjoyed you. Enjoyed it. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Have a good weekend. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.